This is Scott McNamara with What's New in Adaptive Physical Education. I'm sitting here on a beautiful Wednesday afternoon. Had another snow day. Uh, if anyone's in the Midwest or Northeast, you're probably having a few of those yourself. Uh, it's I've never seen anything like it. Um, the nonstop snow and the happiness of the of our students coming in and having missed I think six days now at the university, which is unheard of. Well. Well, I am really excited for our guest today, Dr. Martin Block from the University of Virginia. He is the president of IFAPA, the International Federation of Adaptive Physical Activity, and he's going to talk to us a little bit about um, this organization and a, a conference that they're having very shortly in June. Um, we'll also have a follow-up to this uh, with an interview with Dr. Justin Hagel and Ann Griffin, uh, an APE teacher who are going to talk a little bit about some of the different aspects of the uh, conference. What's really great too about these conversations is not just about the conference, but uh, this is an international conference, so we're going to kind of talk about some of the international perspectives that are brought and how those kind of inform and, and enhance our perceptions as a field and as a teacher and you know as a student, whomever you may be. So I'm really excited about this conversation, and here we go. All right, so we'll just get started, and like I said, it's just going to be like super casual. So we have Dr. Block here again. Uh, he was on an episode about uh, autism and PE a while ago, about a year ago, I think. And uh, we're here, and we're going to talk about the ISAPA conference and the IFAPA Association. You are currently the president of, I always get them confused, but you're the president of IFAPA, right? Correct. Yeah, the International Federation of Adaptive Physical Activity. Okay. The symposium is kind of our way of doing uh, conferences. Absolutely. So the IFAPA is the association. ISAPA is the conference that you're doing in at the University of Virginia this year. Yeah, yeah. We're excited because this will be the first time since 1991, if you can believe it, that we're bringing ISAPA back to the United States. The last time it was in 1991 was in Miami, Florida. And uh, I don't know why we've never brought it back, but uh, I'm excited to bring it back to the state. Wow. That's pretty cool. It's in Miami, too. <laughs> the, okay, so I'm going to ask you just a little bit about your, just a quick kind of, you know, um, who you are and your experience with APE. And then if you want to, you can kind of lead into that about how you got involved with IFAPA a little bit. Sure. So, so I preface this all with saying I just have lived a very charmed life. Things have kind of fallen into place for me, and that's how I, I, I've kind of gotten into this. So um, I went to a small uh, private college uh, in North Carolina to do my undergrad in physical education, and I just always felt like I wanted to do a little bit more. So there happened to be a special school for children with intellectual disabilities, another school for children with cerebral palsy. So I volunteered there, and that just it really sparked my interest in adaptive PE. So from there, I went to the Ohio State University to get my master's and learn more. And then I taught for five years in, in Northern Virginia outside of Washington, D.C. And just by happen chance, some of the people who worked at Special Olympics International, which headquarters are in Washington, D.C., came to one of the events that I was helping with. And at the time, I was working with children with very severe disabilities. And um, Special Olympics was struggling, as I was too, on what do you do 
in Special Olympics context with children who have very little voluntary movement or understand the rules. So from there, I was invited to, to, um, to participate in a meeting with many different people who had the same issues with children with severe disabilities, and Special Olympics then hired me to create this program that later became the Motor Activities Training Program. And um, again, how did I get to get do my PhD? They said, hey, while you're here at Special Olympics, why don't you go get your PhD at the University of Maryland? So, so I literally fell into that, you know, what wasn't uh, organized the way it should be. And then, you know, when I got to Maryland, uh, um, they said, I said, do you have adaptive PE? And they, they didn't at the time, at least not at doctor level. So they said, maybe you can do motor development. We have a really good person here. And ended up studying with Jane Clark, who was one of the leaders and continues to be one of the leaders in motor development. So, I mean, again, I lead, lead kind of a charmed life. Um, with Special Olympics, though, that gave me uh, some exposure to uh, presenting at, at international places. We went to Belgium early on to present motor activities to Europe. I went to the Caribbean to present it to Caribbean countries. So uh, that was my first taste of the international piece, and, and I just really enjoyed that. Um, so af after, uh, after doing that, I eventually came to the University of Virginia, was teaching here, and one of my doctoral students um, was a woman named Aya Klavina, who is from Lithuania, I'm sorry, from Latvia. And Aya uh, was already well known in Eastern Europe, and I just, we just kind of gave her a stamp of approval for a dissertation. But she mentioned to me that she did her undergraduate or her master's training in something called the European Masters. The, 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 the exact title is the Erasmus Mundus, International uh, Ma European Masters in Adaptive Physical Activity. And she mentioned that they were looking for some international partners. And so I contacted um, Herman von Kopenhol at the time. And, and Herman said, yes, we'd love to have Virginia participate. So I, I would go to Belgium uh, once a year to teach in this program and to talk about opportunities we had in, in, uh, for the students in the program to come to Virginia. So again, that was my, again, another exposure to the international world and um, really got a chance to meet literally people from Asia and Africa and Europe and South America who did this international master's program. Um, and again, from there, I kind of fell into, uh, ESO, uh, went to my first ESOPA meeting since Miami. I went to the one in um, Sweden in 2009, I believe it was, 2009 or 2011. Uh, anyway, and, and I just, that, that got me back into the program. And um, later, back around 2013, one of my colleagues from the Czech Republic, Martin Kudlicek, uh, said, you know, we really need a new president and we'd love to have someone from North America. We know the type of work you do. Would you be interested in being president? And, and, and I, you know, I said, sure, I would be happy to, to help. It's not an area of strength of mine, honestly, to, to, to be this type of a leader. But I just thought, sure, I'll, you know, I'll give it a shot. And um, so I was elected to be the president, and um, and so I've been president. It's, it's a it's a quite a commitment. Uh, you're uh, president elect for two years, you're president for four years, and you're past president for another four years. So I'm <laughs> gonna be, uh, man, <laughs> so it's a, it's a. I'm I'm gonna end my term at the conference this summer in 2019. But then I have four more years as past president. Wow. Anyway, it's been a, it's a great, great experience. So I went to ISAPA in um, Istanbul, Turkey in 2013, and then in Israel in 2015, and then in Korea 
in 2017. And again, during those times, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, we need to bring this to the U.S. because I just think there are a lot of people in the U.S. Who, who haven't been exposed to all the great things that go on around the world. So the, again, I'm real excited that we're bringing it to Charlottesville. Absolutely. You know, I love hearing about your past and like how you got involved with ISAPA and IFAPA. Like, this is a pleasure for me to hear too, as I haven't been either. So I'm really excited to go. I'm really, really excited to go. Um, so let's, so first, like, let's define what IFAPA and ISAPA do for the, for the wider community. And then I want to talk a little bit about the different perspectives that you just kind of hit on, but let's define IFAPA and ISAPA a little bit better. Okay. So, so, um, IFAPA, the International Federation is a organization of adapted physical activity professionals and students and practitioners from around the world. We're a relatively small group. Um, I would say anywhere from 200 to 500 people are, um, our members, you know, active members, I would say probably between 150 and 200. So again, we're a small group, but we do represent all um, all parts of the world. We have a couple of people from Africa who are really promoting uh, um, Africa. And, and I've actually went to Nigeria this summer to help with a conference there. Europe is very active. Uh, Eastern Europe, um, you know, the, the Baltics with Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia um, uh, are very active. Um, we have Australia, New Zealand, uh, South America. We have some places there, certainly North America. So, so yeah, so it, it's, it's, a great, it's a great organization. I mentioned adapted physical activity because it's much broader than just adapted physical education. We do have people who are physical educators and who study physical education. We also have those who are very interested in disability sport. Um, and then we also have those who are interested in more broader adapted physical activity, you know, recreation, leisure, uh, physical fitness, things like that. So it's a very, very broad organization. So, so what is um like? What does the organization just IFAPA do for for its members and such? What are like, and what are some of the conversations that occur there? So, um, uh, what's well, kind of interesting because we we don't actually, other than the international symposium, we don't really do anything in a coordinated way in in some respects. In other respects, we, we have, since I've been on board, we, we've been really beefing up our uh, webpage, uh, the IFAPA webpage. And um, uh, we have a guy from, from Europe named Kwok Nig, and Kwok is our webmaster and just done a terrific job. So I think that's the, the number one thing we do is we disseminate information about conferences, about programs, about research studies, uh, about things that have come out in, 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 the, in the news. Um, and so I think that's our, our biggest type of thing is just disseminating information, sharing information. Uh, one of the things I wanted to do when I became president, we didn't really do, was to try to create this uh, network of researchers. So if, for example, I say I want to do research on autism, I could go and look at this directory and say, oh, there's this guy in South Africa doing research on autism. And that's something we never really did unfortunately but again that, that would be one of I think a long-term goal is to have that type of a community where we can connect people very cool all right then a little bit more than about ISAPA now so what is ISAPA I know that's the conference that's the symposium that you all offer what are some of the things like broadly right now um, that that's going to offer somebody so um, it, it's it's a kind of an interesting phenomenon when you think about shape America and you think about state organizations and, and ACSM they're usually very tied together with their conferences. 
And the way it's been historically with ISAPA is somebody uh, who's affiliated with the organization submits a proposal, and then if they get accepted, they really are kind of on their own. So just for example, with Korea, um, we were really having a hard time communicating with them. It was kind of their own baby. They could do what they want. And we had to kind of say, well, as a member of ISAPA, we also would like you to you know, do some awards and do some things with that. But it's just, it's an interesting thing. It's really kind of almost two separate entities, although they are certainly tied together. Um, what we do, what's exciting, I think, is again, we bring researchers um, from all over the world together to, to share some of their research. And this way, I, I've done, I can't tell you how many collaborations I've done internationally just because someone said, hey, I saw you at ISAPA. Uh, I saw your presentation. I'm doing similar research. Can we collaborate? And so all of a sudden, you know, I'm doing research with people from Spain and from Hong Kong and from South America. You know, it's just, it's, it's just a great way to, to um, really expand your research, learn about what people are doing in other, uh, other countries. So, so I think that's a big piece is this, this um, professional networking from a research standpoint, but also from a practitioner standpoint to find out <clears throat> what are some unique programs they're doing in Turkey that, well, I could replicate that here in the States. So I think also from a practitioner standpoint, we have that as well. Very cool. And I want to definitely hit more on that practitioner's piece in a minute too. I want to, the thing that's very interesting to me, I'm very interested in going, uh, is to kind of hear those different perspectives and such. And I know, you know, you're also in North America and uh, such. I wonder though, you're, you're kind of talking briefly about Africa and Australia and some of the things. Are there, is there different points of view on our field that maybe um, can pr profoundly affect us? And do you have any examples of any of those? So one of the things that I've learned in my travels is that this notion of a, an adapted physical education specialist is, is somewhat unique to North America. Uh, when you go to Europe and Eastern Europe and Africa and Asia, that, that's just not something that they do. You may have a special school, and they still have a lot of special schools, and they may have someone who, who does physical education, but they don't have the same type of training that, that we provide um, to our students, and it's just it's an interesting phenomenon. The other thing I've learned over the years, uh, in fact, this was just a couple of years ago on a visit to Europe, is that in Europe at the elementary school level, um, they often don't have dedicated physical education teachers. So if you're, a, if you're hired at a school to be a second grade teacher, you teach second grade, but you also teach the specials, art, music, and physical education. And you just take your kids down to, they call it the sports hall, and you, you, you do what you do. And these teachers may have had one course in physical education during their undergraduate training to be an elementary teacher. So I, I found that kind of interesting um, as well. Now, there are some larger schools that will pick one person who they feel could, could run the whole program. But in a lot of places, it's just each teacher takes their, their children down there. So when you, when, you, when you put that spin on something, and now you add this overlay of, well, we're going to include children with disabilities into these specials, and you have someone who's really not trained even to begin with how to, how to run these specials, I just I think there's a, a real problem. And so what, what we're finding with the research around the world is that physical educators um, just don't feel prepared to include children with disabilities. Um, another another uh, kind of a international phenomenon is that on the one hand, there's this real push for inclusion, similar to what we do in North America. On the other hand, it, it really varies from state to state and and um, or, or country to country. And 
it's not as prevalent as they would like to say. You know, so so I, I, I go to China every year as part of a, a work I do with Beijing Sport University, and they're really about inclusion and training teachers for inclusion. There are very few kids in China who go to regular schools. If you have a disability, you go to a special school. Um, so, you know, we're, we're making the effort. We're, we're creating um, um, online uh, modules and, and, you know, some teacher training things to help the, the teachers, but they're a long way from having kids who are included. There, there are spots, uh, Portugal, Italy are places where they, they've been doing a lot of inclusion. Um, kind of surprisingly, places like Belgium and Germany, you would think are a little bit more um, advanced, don't do very much inclusion. They still have a lot of special schools. And again, there are people doing research on inclusion. It's just, it's not happening as quickly, I think, as it is in the States, but it's, it's coming. So I think that's one of the big issues um, I think people talk about when we come to these conferences. You, you know, uh, something we, we definitely in this show also do is we'll step into that APA and therapeutic uh, rec world sometimes. And so I would also be really interested to seeing like kind of what's different um, in those communities as well. And since you're bringing that maj paj of different people with backgrounds, that would be very interesting as well. Um, a, a little bit, I, I just like, I'm so interested in hearing these different perspectives from different, you know, places in the world. In those areas, outside of APE, do you see other trends as well? Out Like within community-based organizations or therapeutic rec, are there things that are happening in the other parts of the world that maybe aren't happening here? So I can tell you in Ireland, and this has been going on now for probably 15 years, if not more, but they've created this really cool center called the CARA Center, C-A-R-A, the CARA Center. And part of the CARA Center is they have these um, things called CIDOs. So it's sports information director, officer, something like that. But what this person does is they go to a county. Um, Ireland is divided up into counties similar to our state. So you go to, uh, you know, whatever county. And then um, there, this this CIDO is in charge of facilitating um, therapeutic recreation, sports, physical activity. So they may create their own special goal ball or sports program for the blind, or they may go to a, a local yoga studio and say, hey, we have some people interested in doing yoga. They happen to have visual impairments, would you be okay having them participate? So I think that's a, just a terrific model of having a community person, their sole job is to facilitate either creating special programs or putting people with disabilities into regular programs. So I, I, that's one model I'd love to replicate, you know, in a state like Virginia or a state like Iowa. For sure, absolutely. And, and like, it sounds to me like you go there and you're, you just have all these ideas that you never uh, would have had unless you would have gone to somewhere like ISAPA. So you get all these different people and they're probably people from internationally coming in too that are, are trying to get the same thing from us. So that's... Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and it, I, again, I think it's fascinating because sometimes we have a very um, egocentric idea that, oh, what we do in America is the best. And we do great things, don't get me wrong, but it's it's always fun to go and hear someone from a country like, wow, you guys do that in Serbia? I, didn't, I had no idea. And, and it's a great it's a great program. You're doing some really cool stuff. So yeah, I think it's 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 uh, it's really amazing to learn. The other thing, um, we have such riches in America. One of the things when I have visitors from Europe and Asia come to visit me is we go to some of our local schools and I open up the PE closet and they're like, wow, look at all this equipment, you know, and 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 they're just amazed at how much you know the riches, the money, the the, the big gymnasiums we have at the elementary level. Um, a lot of schools in Europe don't don't have gyms at the primary school or they're very small. So, um, yeah, that 
they're amazed at that. And I'm amazed when they say we put together this program, which is just wonderful. And, and we don't have hardly any equipment, you know, we, we're beg borrowing, stealing, and we're, but it's great. It's a great program. So to me, that's even more impressive how they can do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's probably schools in America, I'm sure there's plenty of them that probably uh, could use those ideas as well to, if they have smaller gyms and less resources as well. Um, so that, that's great. I'm going to ask you one question and this might be something that maybe you can't answer, but, um, like what are so I know that ISOP is big on presenting cutting edge research in our field. Uh, when you know I have colleagues that have gone, and every time they come back, they're always saying, "I saw this, I saw this, I saw this." Um, do you know what are some major topics and presentations that are uh, that you plan on being showcased this year at ISAPA, or is it too early to tell? Yeah, well, we're we're actually reviewing abstracts right now, so it's a little bit early. But I can tell you that we have set aside one whole day for autism. Um, I, I think that's such a, a hot area in terms of uh, research and physical activity, physical education. So uh, we're excited. That day is going to be kicked off by Thomas Frazier, who is the chief science officer for Autism Speaks. So he'll talk about some of the research agenda they're doing. In fact, I just read something about health disparities in children and, and access to health care who have autism so, uh, or, or on the spectrum. So, so we have a whole day just uh, about that. And I think we're going to see some really cool research about, about what's going on. There are a lot of people who are doing it and, you, you know, you see it here and there, but a lot of us don't read some of these uh, autism-specific journals where these things are published. So I, I'm excited to see what people present. So I think that's going to be one, one big area. Um, the other thing, I'm hoping we have some people, there's, there's a group of people who do sport classification in other words, uh, if you go to the um, Paralympics and someone is, is, is running a 50-meter dash, you know, they're, they're, now it's not just a 50-meter dash for people with a leg amputation. They do a more functional classification. You may have a real mix of people who are running. So um, it's fascinating to find out how they make these determinations. In fact, I just came across an article about people with intellectual disability and, and how they decide does your intellectual disability affect your performance and how can they weigh that to decide who qualifies and things. So just, I think that maybe some things pop up that about classification too. Very cool. Very cool. So you're even having people that are associated with Paralympics coming into this conference as well. That's something also to know. Absolutely. Okay. I'm going to ask you now a question that um, I'm I'm working on a project myself with, um, with another researcher and uh, a teacher. And uh, there's a, something that has come up maybe the last six months in some of my conversations has been kind of the gap in our field and probably most fields about practitioners and research. Uh, you know, the academics, the ivory tower thought of, you know, um, you know, that we don't do a very good job sometimes of communicating our research and the applicability to it of it to practitioners. So I kind of, when we talked before, you mentioned that you're doing basically a practitioner's day. And I think that's something really, really, really important to highlight. Um, and I just want to, you know, ask how you're trying to bridge that gap and maybe what this practitioner day is going to look like. So actually the practitioner is going to be a three day, um, oh. kind of a, a conference within a conference. So, so we're real excited about that. And I'm, I'm hoping we, we draw a hundred, 150 practitioners from around the, the country. Um, so, so it's a great question. And I, I think one of the things that's nice about ISAPA is that the research people do is, is very practical. 
applied research. I mean, we don't look at, you know, mice and how, you know, the effects of whatever on a mice's heart or something. I, like I saw one recently about, um, about uh, uh, I think, polyester pants on the effects of mice and their their eating habits or something. So, yeah, yeah. So. Yes. Ours tend to be, you know, you know, what, what can we do? You know, what, what can we do to change attitudes? What can we do to help this person be more physically active? What, what's a good dose of exercise to get someone to improve their health? So, so yeah, so, so, um, so what we're doing is we're inviting practitioners at, at a very reduced cost. And we have a Saturday, Sunday, Monday, um, three-day practitioner workshop. Part of it's going to be Special Olympics International is going to come in and talk about the latest trends in Special Olympics from unified sports to unified schools. Um, I'll, I'll talk about some of the things with severe disabilities. Um, there's some really cool things with uh, preschool and um, the, the little feet meets and, and young athletes programs. So we have a whole thing about that. Um, we have uh, uh, Ron Davis and Ken Black, Ron from Texas Women's, Ken Black from the UK come in and talk about modifying sports, team sports to include children with disabilities. That's gonna be an exciting piece. Um, then we have a day where I, I just call it unique programs. And um, uh, you mentioned earlier uh, to me, Ann Griffin from Iowa, she's gonna come and talk about unique programs for children with severe disabilities. We have um, people coming in and talking about <clears throat> special sports programs. A guy from uh, Peter Strauss from California who does um, team primetime where they uh, integrate children with without disabilities in high school sports. He's gonna talk about that. So, so we're gonna have a whole day on just unique, unique programs for children. And then Monday, that autism day, is going to be all about practitioner pieces about autism. We have people coming in. We're going to do a make and take about how to do visuals for children with autism. So a woman had created these great visuals and has it online and, and is happy to share it. We have David Geslack who does uh, extra autism, I guess it's exercise connections about how to get children with autism be physically active, again, using visuals. Uh, one of my doctoral students, uh, previous doctoral student who's now in Mississippi, Joanne Judge, is very interested in video modeling. She's going to talk about video modeling. So just a whole day about very practitioner-focused, what do I do with children with autism who come to my gymnasium or to my recreation program? So, so yeah, so we, we have a, a lot of stuff. And then, again, all these practitioners have access to everything else that's going on. So if they see a really cool session that they want to attend, you know, we're happy to have them participate. So, so I'm excited about that. Not, not all of the ESOPs um, uh, have a practitioner piece. I just felt it was really important to do. That. Absolutely. You know, uh, you know. I mean, you're the president of IFAPA, so you're the president of our international association, really. So I, I'm just going to ask you some like questions now, just like kind of about the field with that stuff, because you are the the thought leader in that. You know, um, but like so, going back to that point though, I made about academics and, and practitioners in our field, do you feel like there's a gap between the research and the practitioners using it? Um, I do. I do. Uh, it's been that way for years and years. I just think um, uh, it's a kind of a two-way street. I think one, practitioners probably don't get adapted physical activity quarterly or the journal of autism or things like that, and they don't probably, they probably don't feel comfortable you know, diving into this stuff, they probably don't feel that the information is relevant to them. So I think uh, um, that's that one side. But I think the other side is that we as researchers don't translate our research in a way that makes it uh, helpful for practitioners. So there's a couple things I think that, that we don't do that we should do. One is I think um, more 
somehow summary papers that we could get out either through the AFAPA webpage or through the North American webpage or the SHAPE webpage, but hey, here's some great research and here's how it, it would affect you. Here's the practitioner piece. The other thing I think, uh, and part of this is this, like just the, uh, you know, getting tenure promotion piece, but I, I think a lot of us do publish in, in the Journal of Physical Education, Jobert and Palestra. Those are places where practitioners can be reached. And I think it, it really is important that we do this much more. Now, I, I had let my Shape America membership lapse and I wasn't getting uh, Jopert, but when I was getting Jopert as of two years ago, I would say that maybe in the course of a year, there were three or four articles on Adapted when there should be one in every issue or two in every issue. And so I think uh, that would really help practitioners and fill that gap. You know, I'm, uh, I just think we, we, we need to do a better job of that. For, for example, if I'm doing research on on autism and I publish it in, in Adapted Physical Activity Quarterly or Autism Journal, I should have a complimentary piece that goes into Jopert saying, you know, here's what we found and here's how this is, is applicable to you in your everyday work in the gymnasium. Definitely. In fact, one of, one of the things I do with my students is when we, when we talk about a research project that we're doing, the first thing I say is let's, let's write a paper for Palestra or Jopert that kind of explains this to us, but explains it to other people. Then we can do research on it, but what's kind of the, so we, we kind of did this. We just wrote a paper on um, barriers to um, children with, actually young adults with autism to be physically active. We, we just felt that that was an issue. And so we, we actually did this by first um, doing a, a interviews of parents to find out what were some of the barriers and, and facilitators to get their young adult active. And then after we got that information, we wrote a paper that we're publishing in Palestra on here are some solutions that, that were parent driven, but that, that you as a practitioner can say, okay, this is a good idea how I can get my son or, or how my, get my students to be more physically active. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I just find it to be a, you know, a, a difficult thi uh, thing for us to navigate. And I don't know if it's uh, something particular in our field um, or if it's somewhat the way uh, that academia, higher education is a little bit structured because a lot of us, we don't get the pats on the back for, for publishing in the practitioner-based you know, journals, even though they're very well could be just as valuable, if not more so. So I, you know, I, it's something that I'm interested in a little bit and just how we're, how we're going to do that. Podcast is one avenue maybe to try to bridge that a little bit. And I, I've, I've also been following your, your website uh, the AFAPA one, and I think you all do a really good job of kind of give, giving out news and such in our field. And really, you're the only one that I've seen that's specific to our field, a large organization that's doing that on a, at least a somewhat regular basis. And so it's nice to get out that information um, to people in any way that we can. So, And we're small, too, so it's not like we know even our field that we're small and, you know, the research coming in is very funneled and very difficult sometimes to attain, so... And, and yeah, and obviously that's a topic that we could go on and on and on about. But all right, I'm going to ask you kind of one last question about the uh, about your you being the president of ISAFA. So I want to know like if what your thought about the state of APE is throughout the world right now. Like what is your how do how are we doing? What's your assessment of us as a field? In the world, yeah, big question. I know, right? It's a, it's a great question. It's a great question. I think individuals 
who are really trying to make a difference. So again, for example, I was in Nigeria this summer. There's a terrific guy named Okich Charles, who's, who's really trying to do some great stuff, but he's in a small community. And um, it's, you know, how much it gets out to the broader Nigeria. He put together a conference that was attended by over 300 people. So, uh, you know, it was, it, there's a real hunger for it. Um, there's some really good stuff going on in China um where they're again we're, we're doing these these online um, uh, modules and and online learning um i i you know it's similar to the states it, we're small if you look at the u.s we're small and how many master's programs there are and doctoral programs and how many states actually have adapted physical educators in my state in virginia we have about 150 school districts and i would say 15 have dedicated adapted p teachers the other ones don't so it's hard to draw that broad spectrum and say, you know, how are we doing? I can say that there are people in, in many different places who are doing just terrific work. Uh, you know, another example, my, my former doctoral student and colleague, Aya Clavina in Lithuania, who I mentioned before, is working on a grant with uh, helping Ukraine create physical therapy programs and physical activity programs. She's done a lot of work in Scandinavia with, with Finland and Sweden. So, so there are people who are doing great things. And um, I think they, that they, they're in a solid place. And I like how we're seeing more collaborative research. So if it's, you know, if I can get five participants and you can get five participants and, you know, we get a lot of people, all of a sudden we have a really good study here. So um, I, I, it's, it's a slow thing. It's still driven by individuals and individual places. It's not as strong as you would they could be their places. Korea has has many universities that actually train adaptive physical activity, and they, they're they're way ahead of a lot of places. So it's an interesting question. I, I think we're I hate to say we're doing good. I think there are people who are doing great things, but, yeah. uh, and they're trying to spread it across their countries. It's just it's a slow process. And, and one more thing on that point, like with South Korea, and I've heard that before about South Korea. Um, why? why are they doing exceptionally well? I think it, it becomes a question versus other places in that area. You know, and I don't know, I'm, I'm just kind of, you know, asking the question. I don't expect you to have a, a concrete answer on that, but, you know, why are they doing better and how can other countries and ourselves or, you know, states replicate some of those things? You know, it's a great question. I don't know why historically they did this, but they have probably three or four universities where they have master's programs in adaptive physical activity. And that's way more than most other, um, hmm. most countries don't have anything like that. So I, I don't know historically why that happened. Um, uh, they still tend to be a very segregated uh, country. There are more children who are included in general schools, but, but not nearly as much as in the U.S., so um, I don't I don't know. It's a it's a great question, but I know they're very strong. We've had several doctoral students from uh, and, and master students from South Korea, and I know other people around the the country as well. And we have many of those who stay in the states and are now working in, in Northern Illinois and California, and and uh, one of my students is in Pennsylvania. You know, so so there there are people all over the place. So, so it's a, it's a great question. I'm not sure sure why <laughs> it's, I, it's a great question it's yeah. something that's actually come up quite a bit just we, we've talked about the history of ape in this podcast quite a few times and i've had a lot of awesome people on here and it just always is like uh you know so we talked about california a lot recently about how did they become such a prominent ape state and then you know a state over and i'm in iowa we don't have very strong ape here 
why is that? You know, like it's just kind of, uh, you know, I mean, um, so it's, it's, we're, I think it's a question worth kind of pondering and, and figuring out, but I don't think it's an easy question to answer whatsoever, but. Well, you know, it's another, another, uh, kind of a, a thing. And I don't have any proof of this, just conversations with people, but we in this, in the United States seem to have attacked the whole adapted physical education piece from an educational piece, you know, expanding physical education, training physical educators. In, in many places in Europe, it has come from either a, a sports place, a disability sports, so they started with Paralympics and how can we get this down to the schools? Or in, in East, Eastern Europe, a lot of my colleagues were trained as physical therapists and they had an interest in disability and pediatrics and expanded that into uh, kind of an adapted physical activity program. So my colleagues in Lithuania and Latvia, they were all trained as physical therapists and kind of expanded into this field of adaptive physical activity. So it's interesting how that played out. Very cool. All right, well, we're gonna finish up now and just, I wanna ask kind of just a, a last question uh, about like a real quick thought on how you would summarize quickly why someone should go to ISAPA. If they're a student, practitioner, or professor, why should they go to ISAPA and become a member? So um, let's start with the professor slash researcher. You'll have a chance to meet people who are doing similar research to you. And just like I mentioned, my own experiences, wonderful opportunities for collaboration um, to, to do these cross-cultural studies, you know, comparing Iowa to Germany. You know, how, there's just some really neat opportunities with that type of thing. And, and then learn from other places what they're doing um, whether it's research methods, whether it's the type of uh, participants they're working with, the children with disabilities. Um, and it, again, just, just some of the, the cool research that, that uh, uh, we, we may not be doing in the States that they're doing in Europe. So I think from a researcher standpoint, from a, from a student standpoint, if you're a doctoral student, certainly a chance to present your work in progress and get feedback. Um, if you're a master's student, this is another great place to meet people from around the world find out what, what people are doing, what are some of the hot things to see if this may lead to going and getting a doctorate. I don't think people in the States really consider going to Europe or Asia to do their, their doctorate work or Australia, but they have some terrific programs. You know, we certainly like to keep them in the States, but you know, geez, go to the University of Queensland in Australia for three years, I'd do that. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, there's some, you know, really cool opportunities that, that they can learn about there. And then from a practitioner standpoint, again, this is gonna be um, a chance to to learn cutting edge things. It's great to take that one adapted PE course. It's great to look at a textbook, you know, by Joe Winnick or Claudine Cheryl. But you know, when you hear from someone from Turkey saying, "Hey, we we created this program that we found to be super effective with kids with autism." Uh, wow, I want to learn about that. I want to do that to help my kids. You know, you you find out in Hong Kong they're doing something to get their kids to be more physically active. Hey, I want to do that. Well, tell me how you did that. So I just think it's what a great opportunity to learn about other countries and other cultures and how they get their kids to be physically active and learn motor skills and, and things like that. So it just, again, I, I've been to I've been to about four or five of these in the last uh, uh, eight ten years, and um, every time I come back, I'm just you know re-energized, excited to do work. You know, getting these little cards and emailing people saying, hey, let's let's get this going, let's do this research and. Uh, and, and it, it allowed me lots of opportunities to travel to, to other countries and, and have people from other countries travel to visit me. 
And so again, from a, from a, from a going back to that researcher standpoint, um, if you're interested at all, like you as a young person, if you're interested, wow, I'd love to go to England or Ireland. Well, here's a chance to meet people from England and Ireland and make those connections. And they're more than welcome to have you come. And in fact, they'll often find money for you to come to, to help and do research. So I just can't speak highly enough about the opportunities. Absolutely. You know, one other thing from my standpoint too, um, especially maybe from a practitioner as well, is like, like if I came there, you could also kind of model and be a leader and show the great things that you're doing as well and kind of go from that perspective of trying to, to highlight some of the great things that your school's doing or anything like that from a, uh, at an international level, you know, to also share that information to go there yeah. for that uh, fact too. But I, I really appreciate the conversation. I, it was really fun. I, uh, I loved every moment of it. So thank you very, very much, Dr. Block, and I'll see you at ISAPA. I'm looking forward to having it. I hope a lot of your uh, listeners will come to ISAPA too. All right. Thank you once again for listening to this great conversation with Dr. Martin Block. And as I said before, we're going to have another episode, a follow-up uh, episode with Dr. Justin Hagel and Ann Griffin very soon to talk about um, their contributions to the to the conference and what it looks like from their viewpoint. Thank you.